0: Why do Democrats hate Americans so much? When Hillary was running for president, she said half of Donald Trump's supporters were quote, a basket of deplorables. Recently, Joe Biden at a speech in Philadelphia told America that half of us are semi-fascist terrorists. Under the first amendment of the constitution, we have the right to express our opinions. And if we disagree with the left, they don't have the right to take away our freedom of speech. Clearly the statement by Hillary and Biden are designed to silence the conservatives in America. Many Americans find it easier to go along with the left and give up their right to disagree. What would America look like today if our founding fathers would have given in to the king and not fought for their freedom? Today we must fight to take America back. Join the new generation of patriots who believe in the Constitution. Join the new revolution in America. Fire your shot for freedom by voting on November the 8th. Help all Americans take back our country. It's time for Black and White, a show that wants to bring all of us together, talking again about the issues that concern us. It's time to hear from people who only want to deal with facts. It's time for you to re engage in your right of American free speech. It's time for Black and White. Welcome to the Candidates Corner edition on Blacks and Whites. And joining us today is uh, Bruce Fenton, who's running for the Senate in. uh, in new hampshire and he's got um an interesting way he's communicating to his people about his what he calls one two three plan uh welcome bruce to the uh candidate's corner hi how are you thanks thanks so much for having me my, my pleasure um i want to spend just a little bit of, uh, before we get into your one two three plan i want to talk to you about something that you seem to be somewhat passionate on and that is the the president's inflation plan, which doesn't seem to be doing anything for inflation, um, I, I've written. I write a lot of commentary for alternating for about thirty-five blogs, and I've written several commentaries about this this um, executive order. And first of all, I don't think the president has the power to do that. Only the Congress can 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 do those. things. Even the Speaker of the House, less a year ago, said. Biden doesn't have the the ability to forgive loans. But the first article that I wrote about what was going on is, um, you may be familiar with the term, although you're quite a bit younger than me, so you may not remember the movie called Gaslight, but what's going on when when a person is being gaslighted or gaslit is they're being lied to, manipulated, uh, and to be thinking that what they've been thinking about is all wrong, and what they need to do is concentrate on what person is saying i believe that the the inflation thing was basically a lie to the american people there isn't anything in there the congressional budget office uh uh, university of pennsylvania wharton school all the number crunchers said there's nothing in here to deal with inflation in fact I, i believe it was an out and outright lie because they figured the people would not take the time to read the 700 pages. They read the cover and bought the book, and, and, and including some of the people who passed it, and one of them being the senator from West Virginia, Mr. Manchin, who was supposedly going to get a pipeline, but now he finds out that maybe he's not going to get his pipeline for his vote. So he made a bad deal. What's your sense of, of the, the inflation bill or the inflation executive order?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I agree. It's It's not going to help inflation. Uh, you know, these are the same politicians that told us two years ago that we weren't going to have inflation, and then they said it was no big deal, and it's a very big deal. And those of us who follow um, economics called it, you know, I, I certainly called it exactly, and, and, I, and I don't really brag about that because I, I don't think it took some kind of great forecasting to see. I think it was very very obvious that we were going to have this huge inflation when you print money from thin air like this without accountability you get a lot of inflation and that's exactly what we've seen and I, and I believe it's it's completely because of printing the money from thin air if you really want to address inflation you have to indre- address the the soundness of our money and it's very unsound right now and have better monetary policy but what they're actually doing is going to increase inflation and they're harming the economy because of all these extra regulations and everything that are always part of these bills but they're actually increasing inflation because these kind of all of this spending and debt forgiveness and these kind of things that's that's partly paid for by taking worker wages and it partly paid for by printing money from thin air which also takes from worker worker purchasing power in the form of inflation so uh, yeah, definitely bad policy, and and unfortunately, this has gone on so long that uh, uh, almost eight hundred billion dollar bill, or seven hundred thirty nine billion dollar bill, a few weeks ago, we don't even really think much of it. It's just like, oh, another seven hundred billion, and another seven hundred billion. Um, the, you know, the first time they did this in, in 2008, that first 800 billion, it was big, big, big news. Now they do it like it's going to lunch. And that's very, very, very damaging and very, very dangerous for the future of the global economy and especially the U.S. economy.
0: You know, I, I, I interviewed a, a forensic psychiatrist some time ago, and uh, she is uh, called as an expert witness to Examine what the intent of the action was that somebody done, either whether they were alive or after they were dead uh, concerning a crime. And she made the comment, which I've stolen, and I, I, I'm perfectly willing to admit that I stole it and used it many, many times. She said that the, the, the principles in the Biden administration are not very good chess players. And what she meant by that, she said a chess player is somebody who anticipates two or three steps down the road. They don't even anticipate one, how the president could go in on the first day in office and sign a bill to fundamentally change the the infrastructure of energy in the United States and not expect prices to go up and then not to do anything about it and say, well, tough it out or we'll try and buy oil from Saudi Arabia or when we have it. And so it, it was a situation that time and time again The the Defense Department was not responsible for the withdrawal of the troops from Afghanistan. In the final withdrawal, it was the State Department. Apparently, nobody in the State Department gave any consideration to $85 billion worth of high-quality, high-tech, effective weapons that were left on the base. Nobody thought about it. Uh, and, and, And now we've got the college situation, another 730 or $300 billion, they told us. Two days later, they told us it was $500 billion. Now they're telling us it could be a trillion. Nobody figured out how they were going to pay for it. And when the White House was asked recently, how are you going to pay for this potentially a trillion dollars? They had no idea. So we have a government who says, gee, this sounds like a good idea. Let's go do that. But they don't have any understanding what the outcome is going to be in doing that. And so... Um, I want to ask you about your one, two, three plan, because I think what's very important. I, I, I I believe that part of the problem that the Republicans face is their messaging. The, the Democrats have given us a a huge plate of potential things to talk about, whether it's the borders, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's inflation, whether student loans, whatever. They've given us all these things. They're all distractions. And we're taking the bait to try and convince in our commercials and talking to people about 12 different things. We can't deal. Americans cannot digest 12 different things. And so because we're talking about the issues but not putting up a lot of solutions, that's what intrigued me about your one, two, three plan because you're a Republican candidate who agrees that the things are out of out of control and out of whack. But you've got an idea, constructive idea of how we can fix it called your one, two, three plan. So tell us about it. Yeah, so
1: it's related to, to what we were just talking about, this inflation bill, because um, that was in coming up with the numbers. Part of it was for the cost of just this bill that they did a few weeks ago. Just the cost of this bill, we could cover my plan for an entire year. Okay. And, and if, we, if we didn't give the bailout to BlackRock, we could cover it for almost another year. And if we stopped just a few of these you know, drone bombings and domestic spying and thing like that, things like that, pretty easily you could cover it for five years. And what this, what this would do, so the one would be $100,000 in investment income. You'd have no taxes on the first $100,000 in investment income two, two for $200,000 in uh, personal income and three for $300,000 in business income. So if your business has income where you earn any, anything, even above $300,000, you could earn a million dollars from it, but the first $300,000 should be tax-free. So if you have a little side hustle that you make $1,000 a quarter on, no taxes. If you make $290,000, no taxes. If you make a million, the first three hundred dollars no taxes. Same for income. So whether if you make $30,000 a year or $190,000 or anything in between, no taxes. If you make above it, no taxes on the first 200. So it would be a tax cut for everybody, rich and poor, and everybody in between. And it would be pretty much a total tax elimination for, call it five years, with, with very, very minor trimmings that nobody would even notice. I mean, this bill, like I say, we didn't even have this bill a few weeks ago, and that would cover it for an entire year. Um, but it would be no taxes for any, any of the poor, working class. And pretty much the entire middle class and even even wealthier people, because, you know, wealthier people might have all three buckets, they might have a in, invest, they'd certainly probably have investment income and in 200 over 200,000 in regular income, they may have a business too. So altogether, that'd be 600,000 with a spouse, a too. So so real significant for everybody, wealthy But especially, it's really a a big, big tax cut for the middle class. And the middle class is the one that's hurting the most right now. And they're the ones who've suffered the most. And they're the ones who've had to tighten their belts the most. And they're the ones who are hurt the most. And the working class and poor, especially, are hurt the most by the high inflation. And government hasn't made cuts. Government is just spending and spending and spending. There's still government employees that haven't gone back to work because of COVID. They're working from home in blissful uh, glee with their, uh, you know, healthy six figure jobs and many, many vacation days and big budgets and these kind of things. And uh, they haven't tightened their belt. Um, and they need to, we need to cut spending in Washington and return that money to the people, let people keep that money uh, and, and keep it in their pocket. So that, that's what that, that plan is all about. And it's about the, the broader concept of putting more money in the, in the hands of the workers and, and wage earners who earned it and less hands uh, in, in the hands of politicians.
0: We're speaking with Bruce Fenton, who's running for the Senate in New Hampshire, and he's talking about his one, two, three plan. Um, let me, let me drill down. Uh, what would you cut? How would you go about uh, downsizing the government? How do you do that?
1: I'm, uh, you know, very much on the libertarian side. So, you know, for me, that's, you know, in, in uh, there's sort of theory and practicality in theory, I'd like to cut almost all of it. You know, my ideal bill would be like Thomas Massey's one-line bill that said, this bill abolishes the Department of Education. Only I would add 30 other departments to it in, in an ideal uh-huh. world. In, in today's environment, that's a little bit hard to pass. And, and I actually said, oh, that wouldn't pass. I said it wouldn't realistically pass. But then I corrected myself and I remembered the times that we're in are quite extraordinary. So I wouldn't put anything out of the realm of possibility. We could unfortunately face such turmoil in two years, and such economic hardship in two years that a bill like that could actually be a real, realistic. But in the present environment, if I was in office today, for example, or last year, um, then the, you know there there are more realistic cuts that I think you could get bipartisan support. Um, you know, and starting with just some of these big boondoggles. I mean, the, as I mentioned, the bill just now, you know, that cover for about a year. You know, the BlackRock, a couple of these other things. I mean, we've spent uh, something like eight or nine trillion dollars. Uh, or allocated eight or nine trillion dollars, just in sort of loosely in the name of of what we're kind of calling COVID, which isn't a sensible economic policy, regardless of how somebody feels about health policy. It's it's not uh, which which I feel has been very very bad as well. But the economic policy, there's nothing in any economic textbook that said, hey, if this if this happens, print trillions and trillions of dollars from thin air. It's just very very poor economic policy that. That, that we should we should be aware of.
0: I, I have one, one more quick question for you, then we're gonna have to take a break. Uh, and we can finish it, we can cover it after the break. Um, I heard yesterday that most of the hundreds of billions of dollars that has been appropriated for schools under the various COVID bills has yet to be spent. It's sitting there, not being spent, not taking, helping. And and I'm on a mission right now to try and figure out how much money in all the appropriations that we have had since Biden came in, how how much of that has still been unappropriated. And with that, we're speaking with Bruce Fenton, who was the Republican nominee for the Senate in the state of New Hampshire. We'll be right back after this break. Thank you. And let me reset here. Okay. Now, before we go into part two, uh, I usually like to ask uh, guest when you when you were pitched to me for uh, a, an appearance on on the network, there were th- uh, the the principal thing was your one two three, which we just talked about. But in the time from when the press release was sent out to today, is there anything else that's important to you that likes you'd like to get some airtime on?
1: Uh, you know, not not really, not that I can think of. I mean, I generally talk a lot about freedom and, and liberty, and um, you know, getting government out of our lives and out of our wallets. Uh, you know, a little bit of cryptocurrency is always a, a popular topic. Um, yeah, those are the main things.
0: Okay, so we'll um, we'll come back and we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about the campaign. Okay. Right sounds good here we go five four three two one welcome back on the politicians corner on black and white network and we're speaking with bruce fenton who is the gop senate nominee for the state of new hampshire um tell us about what's going on in the campaign sure not the nominee yet i still have a primary coming up
1: um, but the campaign's going great. You know, I'm getting out the word on, on Liberty and, uh, you know, really enjoying tr- touring the state, traveling around, talking to a lot of people. Uh, you know, that's one of the cooler things, you know, I live, I live here in New Hampshire, but, you know, mo- most people don't really tour their state unless it's their, you know, their job or, or something like this. So, you know, I go to just about every town and, uh, and meet a lot of people and, and hear from a lot of people. And, uh, you know, some, some things are, you know, really touching some of the things you hear, you know, and you, and you, and I feel like I, I get a, a real, uh, it, it's a blessing to be able to shake hundreds and hundreds of hands and talk to that many people because you get a real feel of what's really going on in America and what people really care about. Um, you know, I don't pay much attention to, like, I don't do a lot of internal polls. I don't really do polls um, because I feel like I, I, I don't need a poll to tell me what people care about. I'm meeting them every day, shaking their hand. I'm looking them in the eyes and seeing what they care about. And, and, and that's encouraging because I think a lot of people care about the same things. And I hope that that can unite us.
0: So when is your primary?
1: It's September 13th, a week from today. And what do you think? Well, the, you know, it's my first time running. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, if, if, if Twitter was the indication, I'd be winning by 80%. <laughs> I have more social media than all the other candidates combined. But unfortunately, Twitter doesn't usually translate into votes. So the the more conventional polling, I'm not doing nearly as well. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of undecideds and a lot of un, unenro- unenrolleds. And there's a lot of new movers and it's a very unusual time right now. I mean, we, anything could happen. I mean, typically primaries are not very well attended, but I I, I'm the type of candidacy that um, it motivates the the, the people who like me most are are often people who haven't voted before, you know, and, and a pretty small number of, of non, you know, typical non-voters showing up, They, they can swing things quite a bit. So, so we'll see, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic either way. I've, I've had fun getting the word out and, uh, you, you know, meeting so many people and seeing what's going on uh, out there in the state.
0: What are the people telling you? Whether are, are their greatest concerns?
1: You know, the uh, the the it's interesting. The um, all all the other candidates had this similar answer. We were asked this in a debate, and it's also the same answer that the pollsters come up, which is the inflation. I had one different answer, which I see. Reflected in the in the in the people that I talk to, and that's tyranny. Uh, inflation's a big deal for sure, very very much so. I come from an economic field, you know. I've been in finance my whole life, thirty years professionally in the in the economics and finance field, and, I, and I've actually been, uh, you, you know, quite fortunate to have had a very good track record. I've I've predicted things again and again and again. I, I you know I've got a, you know, I mean to be honest, quite a really good track record in investments. Um, and and I and understanding things like inflation, and I called this inflation a couple of years ago, uh, so it is really important. But to me, I think tyranny is is a more important thing. I think freedom, and human rights, and our constitution. Uh, if we don't have these things, we, we you don't have anything. And and that goes for Democrats and Republicans too. If you once you lose freedom, and I, I had somebody. Um, from an Eastern European country, talking to me about, about this in relation to my campaign. And he was saying, he said, a lot of Americans don't understand there's a certain tipping point because you haven't lived through it, but you, there's a tipping point where once you lose the freedom, it's gone. And then you can rail all you want and you could be a Democrat and say, wait a minute, this isn't what I meant. Too late, too late. Once you lose things like CBDCs where they, they'll they have the ability to potentially shut off your money the way they could shut off your speech or you know, certain tipping points with yeah, uh, you, you know, the the, the the right right now what's protected us is our First Amendment, but we've seen in Canada and Australia, they had similar amendments that were eventually overturned, you know, in Canada, they made it to what was called provisional, and we've seen what's happened in Australia and New Zealand so you know we can't have that you know that with, with without that freedom we have nothing so to me. Uh, you know, fighting for our basic human rights, the, the, it sounds corny and, and cliche, but I really do believe it's, it's about freedom and human liberty and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And, uh, and, and, and I, th- I think a lot of people share that. Uh, the, you know, there's a lot of people that I meet who th- th- at least that's what they like about my, me and my message. You know, I might be biased. <laughs> you know, maybe there's only several hundred of us, but the, those are certainly the people that I'm meeting uh, on a regular basis and who come to my events and
0: who are supporters. What are your how many people are you competing against for the for the Republican nomination? There's
1: 10 total uh, candidates in the race and it's an open primary. So it's so you it's, a, said it's ten, big field. 10 candidates. Yeah, not ten all of them are really actively campaigning. There's sort of five of us that are kind of called front runners often by the uh, you know, that are in the major debates and that kind of thing. I'm one of those five. And yeah. Um, you know, we, we, between the five of us, it's like 99% of the polling probably or something like that. Um, but even still, you know, kind of a kind of five way split, you know, most likely according to the to, to the to the polls. And there's typically about 150,000 people have voted in the past 143,000, something like that. Um, I think it'll probably be a bit higher this year. There's a lot of interesting races and a lot of people interested in politics. Uh, you know, there's two congressional races as well. And there's a lot of you know, motivated Republicans who are getting early in the process because they want to see a, a red wave. It's actually not that early in the process. The general election's coming right up too. We just have a very late primary.
0: So, um, what are your competitors saying that's different than your than you?
1: I think the biggest difference with me is that I'm much more, uh, you know, freedom and liberty focused and more. Uh, leave me alone is totally against uh, you, you know kind of any kind of involvement, but you know by the government as much as possible. You know I want government as as small as possible. So some of the some of the biggest differences between my opponents and I uh, one is the Ukraine uh, I- involvement. I'm not for any any U.S. tax dollars being spent unless it's voluntary. Unless somebody if somebody wants to voluntarily put it in their taxes or voluntarily send it, of course by all means I support that. But I, I'm not in favor of any uh, boots on the ground, or any soldiers being sent there, or or any money being sent there. Um, another big difference is the drug war. I'm a much more libertarian stance. I I'm not in favor of any um, you know drug war at all at the federal level, and really not at the state level. To be frank, it's easier from a campaign standpoint because that's a controversial issue. It's easy for me to say, oh, let's do it at the states. But you know, genuinely, I and I care a great deal about about addiction and and and. Uh, crime and other problems. You know, this isn't something I flippantly say. I've thought a lot about it. Uh, And I've also looked at the data. I've looked at places like Portugal and other places and what has worked and not worked. Uh, And the current drug war has not worked. You know, we've criminalized addiction and there's a lot of people in prison uh, that would be better served with medical help and things like that. But uh, so drug war is another uh, is another, um, you know, difference. And that's also different from a classic Republican uh, point of view. Ron Paul was one of the early Republicans who was against the drug war. Um, but it's not a classic position, but it is changing, especially demographic, demographic wise, uh, among some of the student groups, that's, that's overwhelmingly popular, especially cannabis, um, you know, federal, uh, legalization of cannabis, um, I've seen polls that indicate it's like 85, 90%. So that's something that just like gay marriage, it's very, uh, demographic driven as those voters get older, that that's, that's an issue that's likely uh, if not now, within you know 15 years, it's likely you know cannabis will be decriminalized at a federal level just because of you know who those voters are. Um, and then you know firearms rights. I'm more uh, you know we're all Republicans, so everybody is is to some degree pro uh, Second Amendment. But I, I I'm 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 the only one I know of who's actively uh, in favor of abolishing the National Firearms Act and actually reducing current regulations. I don't want any new regulations. I want to reduce them. Um, So those kind of things, you know, more, more libertarian, I would say, uh, you know, and some of these things conflict too, you know, they conflict with sort of um, your, every Republican has identified themselves as as pro-life. But in New Hampshire, we have, abortion is allowed up to 25 weeks. So the governor calls that uh, pro-choice. And at a federal level, we've all said, we don't want any new abortion ban or new federal uh, laws. Um, One difference from me is because of my stance on drugs, I, you you know, I I believe in, you know, over the counter abortion pills or birth control or, or anything else. um, Just because I don't believe in the in the drug war, especially at a federal level. Uh, So those are some of the things probably more, you know, a combination of hippie and libertarian that are different from the other the other Republicans. But it's interesting, you know, I think this is the I think this liberty is the future of and I know these positions are not for every Republican, but um, I think that's kind of the point. I think we, I think being a broad party and letting, you, you know, I don't agree with these things. I mean, I don't methamphetamines. I think are the, are a horrible, horrible thing. I don't allow them on my property. I don't want anything to do with them. I strongly encourage my kids to absolutely, positively stay away. And I think it's a human tragedy that anybody uses these things. It's a terrible, terrible thing. But I just don't. So it's not that I, I support these things. It's just that I don't see government as the solution. Politicians aren't the solution. I'd like to see us go back to a much, much smaller government where people kind of mind their own business and do their own things and take care of their own problems. And unless somebody comes into their space and invades their property and threatens their life or liberty, government pretty much stays out of it. That That's kind of my overall vision for, for America that I'd like but, to see.
0: But as it relates to drugs, um, let me let me suggest that um, last year 107 thousand people were killed by overdoses of uh, uh, fentanyl yeah most of it which came across the southern border it came into the country illegally and yes. I see time and time again day after day after day raids of thousands upon thousands of pills that are taken one guy had enough to kill everybody in the United States um, yeah I mean we have to the, do we have to do something to try and stop the the flow of these illicit drugs that are coming into the united states the, the the most recent story is they're using colored tablets now to entice young children in elementary school yeah. to get into it how does the government stand by and not do anything about open borders that allow this stuff to freely come across the borders Again, you know, definitely a
1: huge, huge, huge problem. But the, the the thing is, they we just haven't been effective. Government has just, there's not much that government is effective at. Now, and, here, and here's an interesting point on the fentanyl. There's two things. One thing that I do think is a legitimate role of government in this is to investigate the origins and, and the, the possibilities of, of this being a foreign attack vector. Because fentanyl in particular, there's a great deal of evidence that this is being pushed by China. And China is... Uh, you, you know, I mean, that that's a different story. That's a national security matter. So the, the other interesting thing about fentanyl, there there are a lot of side effects of the drug war. And unfortunately, fentanyl is one of them. What, what has happened with drugs because of the prohibition drug uh, potency has gone through the roof. So you have um, every drug, uh, even even cannabis is way, way more potent and, 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 and especially tragic. Um, know the the original creation of crack methamphetamines and and now fentanyl it's because you can fit enough you know the dosage that would have taken some you know the, the the amount to take get people high with other drugs you know you remember miami vice in the in the 80s they had these big you know containers of cocaine they could fit in a shoebox. uh millions and millions of dollars worth of fentanyl because it is so so potent which makes it so dangerous and so unfortunately it is partly a side effect of the drug war you know in a natural world where these things were not you know prohibition remember al capone came as a result of prohibition and i'm against alcohol by the way uh i don't drink i don't believe in alcohol at all uh i i think alcohol is terrible but i don't want to impose my view on others i don't think i don't i think prohibition in the in Al Capone's day was wrong. And I, don't, I wouldn't want to see alcohol prohibition. Um, and believe me, I don't, I don't make light of it. It is a horrible, horrible, horrible problem. Uh, I just don't think government is going to be the solution. And I, I think if we put our efforts into you know, dealing with, I mean, the, be, the best thing to do is prevent people from trying in the first place. A lot of education, working on chil- children and things like that. There are, there are places like Portugal where drugs are widely available. Uh, Amsterdam, other places, they don't have, uh, especially Portugal. Their addiction problems actually went down. And you also remember, you can put the cartels out of business. That's not insignificant. There's a lot of death and a lot of destruction, and the cartels are the ones lacing these things with, 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 with bad drug, you know, with, with, you know, the things that are more deadly and stuff like that. So I'm not saying my way is some magic solution by any means, but I do have an overall belief in a couple things. One is that. You know, government often makes things worse. It costs a lot. It's usually inefficient and it does harm freedom, you know, especially if you're going after addicts and things like that. You know, anybody should be able to put anything in their body, even things I don't agree with pretty much every just to be clear, pretty much everything i listed, you know, I don't agree with. Uh, But I but but, you you know, my 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 great grandfather was a Texas sheriff. And it's very, very interesting to read his diaries because back in those days, he had a lot of power, but he was he was a volunteer. He was a farmer. He didn't want to use the law. And very, it was very rare. It was only like one murder in 20 years that he dealt with and, and a couple other crimes that he, you know, it was a hassle. You could tell from his diary, it's a hassle for him. You know, oh boy, he's, he doesn't want to. He wants to be working on his farm. He didn't want to be enforcing laws. And I'd like to see our, our country go more those ways where people kind of mind their own business um, because going the other way, where we have this huge police state, it, it has it, it the, the cartels exist because of it. They're the modern Al Capones. We put Al Capone out of or you know people like him out of business, um, you know, by ending that prohibition. Uh, so, yeah. I, and but again, you know, I, I, I appreciate and here's the thing that I say to Republicans, a lot of them are that's the number one thing, by the way, that Republicans disagree with me at the at the meetings. I go to a lot of town committee meetings. There's sheriffs. There's all kind of, kind of I mean, it's Republican meetings. So you can imagine that's the number one least position, uh, popular position among some Republicans. It's not all it's some. Uh, but here's the thing that I mention is that, you know, in our general election, that's actually huge, huge because it's it's number two after abortion. So it's it's and, and among young people, it's number one. So it could be the difference. Maggie Hassan only won by a thousand votes. So I, I do say even to the Republicans who disagree. Hey, you may think I'm crazy on the drug war, but if it's a matter of winning the uh, winning the election, every single Republican would definitely rather have me than Maggie Hassan, even if they don't agree with that position. And, and it could be enough to win because, uh, like I say, it's number two with uh, with the voters. There's a lot of Trump. If you count Trump, there's a lot of people with Trump derangement syndrome. They're really, really upset about Trump and then abortion. And then uh, and then um, and and then the drug, you know, they ask about drugs a a, a lot.
0: We've been speaking with Bruce Fenton, who is the nominee for the Senate nomination of the Republican Party in the state of New Hampshire. How can we follow you? So
1: it's uh, uh, BruceFenton.com. And I'm pretty active on social media. I'm on Twitter. Uh, there's a lot of debate clips and things like that on there on, uh, uh, on Facebook at, with just my name, Bruce Fenton. And uh, yeah, I definitely like to connect with people and, and uh, have feedback. And if they're in New Hampshire or know people in New Hampshire uh, to vote uh, September 13th. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.
0: And we'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins and this message is just for moms are you worried about how much money you have lost in your investment account are you concerned if it will recover inflation is 9.1% and I believe it's really higher than that and I think you would agree you have experienced rising prices for food gasoline and many other items isn't it time for you to consider investing in gold with some of your money to protect your future start by finding out if gold is right for you go to the black and whites website and click on the gold bar you'll get a couple of questions and then we'll forward you on to Ira our gold guru he will help you figure out if it's right for you.